0: Well, open your Bibles to 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter. 1 Timothy, chapter 6, as he is winding up the teaching here for young Timothy. He says, Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. Now, when he uses this word here, well, let's just read chapter uh, verse 2 as well so you can see the contrast. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. Now, what he's talking about here, of course, is slavery. That in that world, there were people that were bought and sold and that they were, they were slaves. He doesn't really tackle the whole idea of slavery. He's just understanding that this is what's going on in the world. And this is where they they live. We operate in the world, and they do things uh, with God against God, despite God, all sorts of stuff like that. But he first off hits the first group because as pe peop- as uh, uh people who were slaves got saved, and they were apparently able to go to church and such things of that nature, and so they were in church, and he says, "Let as many of you as are slaves that are under the yoke." count their own masters worthy of all honor. The way he words this under the yoke, he is talking about uh, people that are under unsaved masters. And of course, he contrasts that very clearly in, chapter, in verse 2. But that's what this wording is about, are under the yoke, count their own masters worthy of all honor. The idea is that a believing master would not count those that were slaves under a yoke. They would see them as being freed from that. And, and we'll get into the believing masters here in a minute. But uh, let as many bond servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. He does not take into consideration the quality of the master. He does not take into qual- the, the, the work that they do, how well he's treated. He's simply saying, <laughs> "This is forget them. As far as God is concerned, you make sure that his doctrine and God is not blasphemed. And and he just leaves it at that. So this first exhortation is for those who have believing masters or unbelieving masters. Count the master as worthy of all honor. This is the hard thing to do for slaves or non-slaves to treat people that are disrespective to, be, to count them as all honor. Uh, worthy of all honor. But we do so according to uh, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And so that's what he does. He puts it on that. And verse 2 really gets into the, more of the crux of it. And I think this is actually the one he was trying to address more. Because the problem does not arise when there is a slave under an unsaved master. They are obviously in the world system. And we can kind of expect that of them. But here's the problem. Those who have believing masters, let not them let them not despise them because they are brethren. But what he's talking about here is you think that, all right, Paul comes into a city and people get saved. Slaves and masters. The slave may think, when I got saved and my master got saved, why doesn't he free me? Because this is not what God wants. And that kind of a feeling can be building up on the inside. You could see where that would build up on the inside. And you kind of expect that the master would have the wherewithal to say, you know what? This is wrong. Then by God, we're, gonna, <laughs> we're just going to not do this. And when he doesn't do it, he said, no, you're still my slave. Okay. That can have an attitude that can build inside of the saved slave. and says, you shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> this isn't right. I, un- I can expect it if you are unsaved, but now you are saved. And you're behaving this way. So he says to them, again, he's not addressing the whole slavery issue. Let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. So he says in the same way, you're supposed to treat the unsaved master good. Treat the saved ones good, too, because they're out there at least doing good things for the God. You may not like how that they haven't freed you yet. <laughs> Maybe they should have. Uh, Maybe that's all implied, but he says, despite that, you go on and, and you behave this way. And so he's basically put them into two groups, and basically all slaves are in two groups that are in, the, in, this, in this group here, in this, in this city. Either you are a slave of a saved person, or you are the slave of an unsaved person. Because there's really only two groups of people, saved and unsaved. That's it. And he's saying, no matter which one that you are a slave of, you, you serve them right and you serve them well. Now, the whole slavery idea he doesn't deal with, but uh, as you know, we contemplate it, we think of if you are a person who sells someone else's written words, you are guilty of perjury. If you're a person who sells someone else's invented goods, you are guilty of copyright infringement. In order for you to sell something, you not only have to own it, you had to have created it. You needed to either create the words or you needed to create the object or create the thing that had the patent. Or at least bought the patent off of somebody, but somehow you needed to do some creating. And so when you get into the whole thing of the, the, the slavery, it's not, a, it's not godly because no person created another. So thereby you have no right to sell. I always wondered about that. You, you know, if, if you go out and you buy goods and services, you, you someone benefits, and, and well, actually, both should benefit. You know, you sell the thing, and somebody makes money, and the other person gets the thing that they want. But if you sell a person, the person who sold them benefited, and the person who bought them benefited. But the person who actually got sold, there's no benefit. What, and so, how did somebody get the uh, rights for that to begin with? Because they didn't create them. But he does a real nice job of dancing around this, and he doesn't get into this with Timothy. He says, Timothy, this isn't your job. You cannot make the world moral. You are in the world now. Deal with it. This is what's, what's going on. And so that's what he, uh, he works to do. So those who are believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because they are those who are benefited, are the believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. So he then he goes on. Into uh, verse 3, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, into the doctrine which accords with godliness. If anyone, this is a conditional phrase, if anyone, anyone out there, male, female, elder, deacon, follower, whatever, Whoever it might be, if anyone teaches otherwise, if they were a slave or a master, if they, if they, whatever group they are in, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ into the doctrine which accords with godliness. Well, the word here "otherwise" is the word the Greek word heteros, which we have dealt with before. It means another of a different kind. That's where we get our word. Heterosexual from another of a different kind. If anyone teaches otherwise, if anyone teaches something that is not of the same kind and does not consent to wholesome words, the word here consent, you need to, you may not necessarily agree with it, but you need to consent to it, is what he's saying. If anyone teaches something that is contrary to these words, does not consent to wholesome words the word there for wholesome we get our word hygiene from it clean healthy that's what it, we need to have wholesome words words that are clean words that are healthy words that bring about good things not things that are messy and dirty and bring about foul things that's what we get From there, So we need to, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, healthy words. How many of y'all know there's people out there that that have consented to things that are not healthy? And they bring in things into the group, into the place of employment, into the place where you're at that are unhealthy words. They don't foster the right attitudes. They don't foster the right attitudes according to the Word of God. They bring in divisions. They bring in strife. They bring in anger. They bring in all these uh, envy and covetousness, and these these are not things that are according to the gospel. They are of another. He says, if anyone doesn't, uh, if anyone teaches these things, in other words, whatever situation you're in, say that a slave comes into a situation and says, it's not right that he still own us. He's born again. He's supposed to be a Christian. Mm. If he starts teaching that amongst the people, who's wrong? He is. He is. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Now, he's not just limited to this. It's just that this comes right after this, this thing. He's saying, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the doctrine which accords with godliness. Well, we talked about godliness before. That was a goal that he had. And that's what we are supposed to go to. The consenting, I put this in your outline, the consenting. If we want to find out, am I consenting to these things, the consenting is demonstrated in the godliness. If people do not act godly, more than likely they are not consenting to the right words. They are not consenting to healthy things. They are not consenting to wholesome words. If they are not godly, they should have traits of being godly. If they're always angry, if they're always envious, if they're always jealous, or these kind of things keep coming up on it, then you know what? <laughs> they're probably not feeding off of the right kind of stuff. Somehow that's having an effect on them. And you all know if you, know if you eat the wrong kinds of foods, it produces the wrong kind of feeling in your body. If you go into a place and they you, you ate something nice and healthy like a salad, but they didn't wash the salad properly and they had stuff on there that you shouldn't have, you know that have an effect upon your body because it wasn't clean, it wasn't wholesome, it wasn't hygienic. We need to feed on the right kind of stuff. And when we do that, and we're careful about what we put into our bodies, our bodies function right. They they do right. Food poisoning comes in because, you know, not food poisoning, you're going to die, but food poisoning can make you just, oh, yeah, that's a that's a good way to put it. Just, oh, oh, man, it hurts. You just want to throw up and get whatever's in there out. And uh, just, oh, man, it's just, it's tough. But be consenting. And persons who are consenting to these words, demonstrated in the godliness that they have if there's no godliness present if they don't act in the godly way more than likely the consenting isn't there so if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words even the words of our lord jesus christ and to the doctrine which accords which with godliness he is proud the word there for proud is is in the perfect tense You may be familiar with the perfect tense. We've gone over it before. Salvation is described in the perfect tense. A past completed action that has present and ongoing results. That's what it means. He is proud. In other words, he became proud with an ongoing continuing action that has uh, continuing results. He is proud knowing nothing. He is proud knowing nothing. The word there, uh, nothing, means literally not even one thing. Not even one thing. He knows not even one thing. He's proud. Now, there's nothing worse than a proud person who does not know a single thing. But they're proud. They think they know it all. They think they know lots of stuff. But the Word of God says they're proud not knowing Anything at all. They don't even know as much as one thing. So he knows nothing and is obsessed. It goes on. But is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions. When we argue over words, we lose sight of principles. And all of our life should be governed by principles. When we get the principles down, the words take care of themselves. But when we don't have the principles down, we get sidetracked by words. This happens a lot in the, in the news media and a lot of other places you'll see this. I know this week it's been coming. How many of y'all know about the sequester? You know, everybody's gotten all uh, pretty much up to speed about this, that you know, the nation's going to die in 10 days if we don't uh, do something with the sequester. And so we have. Uh, I've heard people in the government. I've heard people in the news media. I've heard higher ups speak in this way, and they all they, they list out all this stuff, and it sounds like we're going to die. You know, firefighters aren't going to get paid. Um, teachers aren't going to get paid. Head starts going to stop. People are going to starve. Um, Seven hundred and fifty thousand jobs are going to be lost. Somebody heard that one. Uh, what else was put, uh, clean water, clean restaurants, because all restaurant owners desire to give you poisonous food. So if they know that the health inspectors aren't coming by, then, of course, they will, <laughs> which is just ridiculous because I, I worked at restaurants. We patterned our restaurant off of McDonald's. They actually had, uh they told us that. They patterned it off of McDonald's. And McDonald's, when they would go through with their inspections, were harder than the health, ins- health uh, inspectors. And so when they came by and they did a, uh, uh, when Ken's Restaurant Systems people came by, when the area general manager came by to inspect you, it was tougher than the health ins- health department. If you got by their health, their inspection, you did good. Now, health department was no problem at all. Getting an A, whatever you need to get on the, you weren't going to have a problem with that. And a lot of restaurants adopted the same thing. You know, if you go into a McDonald's, whether you like the food or not, The place is clean. The place has to meet up to certain standards, and all of them have to do that because it's a franchise. They're all owned by the same thing. Ken's did the same thing with their restaurants. They uh, they, they owned them all. They didn't even have franchises. They owned every single one of them, and so they kept tabs on, on every single one of them. But even the McDonald's, when they sell you the franchise, they still keep tabs on you. They still want to make sure that you are, are, are doing things right. And that's why if you go into a McDonald's, if you want a good soda, you know, fountain sodas are the best sodas. That's just the best kind of soda you can get. It's better than the bottled stuff. It's better than the canned stuff. Fountain sodas are the best ones. And I know if I'm really am craving a nice mixed Diet Coke, I know the place to go. <laughs> it's McDonald's. And I, I know why it's the place to go. But they would check theirs. Now, see, we did the same thing. They taught us how to do it, and we had to do our own checks. And there's a little device you get. You take the soda machine apart and you put this little device up there and you check each one to see if the mixture is the same, if the mixture is right because there's so much syrup and so much of the soda water is supposed to come out. And if there's too much syrup, it tastes one way and if there's not enough syrup, it tastes another way. And you don't want it either way. You want it to taste right. So if you want a a soda that's mixed well, go to McDonald's because they will do it well. They test each one out. It's, It's continually tested to make sure that they're coming out right. There's a lot of places that you can go and they don't test them. They just figure everything's okay until somebody complains. And uh, that's not necessarily the way that it is. So you know, restaurants are not going to suddenly become dirty because the health inspectors can't get in there. Because they want to keep they want they want their customers to come back. And they don't want them getting sick on their food. So there's all this sort of stuff going in, but anyway, it's, we're all looking at all the different words and all the different things that have been said, And I I tried to give you some perspective on this. You may have already heard some of this, but the government's been spending of late a little over $3.5 trillion a year. That's the overall picture. That's the principle of the picture. The sequester, as it's called, will cut $85 billion out of a $3.5 trillion budget. I would say budget, except we haven't passed one in four years. But we'll just use that term. We understand we mean it loosely. We haven't passed the budget, but we've been spending around $3.5 trillion a year. If you put it in perspective, if you can imagine, maybe you do, maybe you can imagine making this. If you made $100,000 in a year, by the percentage of what $85 billion is to $3.5 trillion, if you made 100000 in a year... It is like you lost twenty five dollars twenty five dollars out of one hundred thousand now, what I think is amazing is that all these people who have the doom and gloom thing going on are telling us that people aren 't going to be fed. Seven hundred and fifty thousand jobs are going to be lost. Uh, health inspectors won 't be paid firemen won 't be paid that government doesn't federal government doesn 't pay firemen that comes out of the states and the townships. Teachers are not going to be paid. That doesn't come from the federal government. It comes from... But this is what people in the leadership are telling us, right? How many of you have heard it? You know, teachers are not going to be paid. They don't pay teachers. Uh, uh, Health... uh, What is it? Um, Medicines are not going to be discovered. They don't discover medicines. Pharmaceutical companies invest their monies that they make off of the drug sales to investigate more. So that comes But all these things are being listed. What I think is astounding... Is that if we get that much benefit out of the $85 billion, hey, how about if we cut the rest of the budget and just keep the $85 billion? I mean, really, if we're getting that much out of the $85 billion that we're cutting, then why don't we keep that and cut all the other stuff? Now, here's the other part about it. $85 billion are being cut out of $3.5 trillion. Half of that is defense. Half of that is defense. So all these other things that people are saying is actually being done on about $42 billion. Out of that, you've got to take 750,000 salaries. Now, how much money is left for all these programs that they say are being cut? Can you see how we get lost in words? We forgot the principles. And that's where we run into a problem. And the people can get all panicked over the words and they forget the principles. Let me just break it down. $25 out of $100,000 is going to break you? Really? What's interesting, too, is that this whole idea came out of the White House. I don't know that it was the president. I'm just saying that's where it came from. It came from the White House. It was their idea in 2011 to get the debt thing taken care of. It was a compromise, so to speak. They said, all right, we'll put this sequester in, so if we don't make a deal about getting the spending under control so we don't have to keep going through this, we will agree that this kind of a cut will, will happen. And now the very people who created it are blaming everybody else. Because again, we've lost sight of principles. We're getting hung up on words. It's about time the government starts cutting some money out of these things because we've just been spending too much money all over. And some, some things are going to suffer because you just can't keep spending money, 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 money. Eventually, it has to stop. We had to do it. How many of y'all have ever taken a pay cut? Anybody ever taken a pay cut greater than $25 out of 100000 How about, if we just cut it in half, how about $12.50 out of 50000 Anybody taken a pay cut greater than that? Did you make it? You didn't die? Yeah. Can you imagine? I, I just think if these guys break it down, I'd be embarrassed if I was them to be talking this way. But that's... Uh, that's what's going on. Of course, the news media is going right along with it. It's just uh, it's not the way that we ought to be. But they're proud, knowing nothing. He is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words. They get obsessed with it, it especially in the Christian circles. We argue all kinds of stuff, words here, words there. You get people who, well, you're one of those faith people. It's a word. We don't look at the principles. Well, what's what's the Bible teach about the principle of faith? I don't care. You're one of those faith people. You're one of those name of Jesus people. You're one of those healing people. You're one of those gifts of the spirit people. You're one of those tongue talkers. We get hung up on the words and we lose the principles. Well, is there tongue talking in the word of God? Did people in the Bible pray in tongues? Did it? Did it happen? So we're, we're missing the principles because we got hung up on the word. We do it all the time in the, in the body of Christ. And then, you know, well, you don't, you don't believe in being baptized in the water. You believe in being sprinkled. So we don't like you. We're missing the concept of the thing. The, the whole principle. And we're getting in this area of disputes. So he says, you got to spot these people. When you spot them, They are proud, they know nothing, but they are obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come, here's where it comes from it, envy, where you become envious. If you find people that are envious of others, somehow we got off on words and we lost the principles that were there. If we get off into strife, somehow we got off in the words. Remember, there was a um, dispute that came up in the Bible, the, um, beside the one about the widows. We talked about that not too long ago. But you remember they had the, the whole big meeting. Paul, he had come and they met with the folks in Jerusalem about what kind of things they were going to put upon the Gentiles. Because they had all these Gentiles getting born. What kind of things should we make them do? And so they all came together. Now, the, Jew, the folks that were in the Church of Jerusalem, the Jewish folks, they could have got hung up on words. No, no, no. They need to be circumcised. They need to be this. They need to be that. And and could have done all this. But they didn't. They got off of that and they got into the principles. And they all came out of there with agreement. It seemed good to us. That we should do nothing more than put this on. them, And they came out with an agreement. Because they looked at the principles. They didn't get lost in the words. When we get lost in words, envy, strife, reviling... Evil suspicions, everyone's always evil. Everyone's always, uh, they're, they're out to get us. They're out to, you know, they're, they're pulling us down. They're the problem. Useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. That's some words. But you see, the words are principles. He's forming a principle here. This is what they've gotten off in. This is, where, this is what you'll see who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. And he doesn't mean gain, spiritual gain. He means money gain. He says, from such, withdraw yourself. When you see people that are caught up with words, with going off into getting people or even themselves into envy, strife, speech that is injurious, in other words, you're always, you're always tearing down other people. You're always said, oh, those people are no good. Oh, that one's no good. Oh, they do this. Oh, they're always this way. Speech that is injurious. That's the kind of thing. He says, when you find people that are like that, don't hang out with them. Now, we're supposed to hang out with the unsaved. But this is a particular group of people that he says they've gotten proud. They're trying to teach people in the body of Christ certain things, but this is what they're doing. They're creating envy. They're creating strife. They're creating reviling, evil suspicion, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Well, we've seen that through the years. People who've gotten into the church simply because they saw it as a way to make money. From such, withdraw yourself. It needs to be something evident. You need to evidently say, I am not hanging out with that. And just withdraw yourself. It didn't say you had to get in there and and call them names back. (laughs) That's not it. But what Paul does show is you call it out. That is a wrong way. to, And you call it out on the principles. You let people know this is not right. What you're doing is not right. Here's what the Word of God says. Now get in line with the Word of God. And if you don't want to get in line with it, Paul exposed them. Because he does not want that kind of stuff going on in church. He's telling Timothy, you need to find these folks. When you do, don't hang out with them. Certainly don't make them leaders. From such, withdraw yourself. I pulled out um Weist translation of this whole section here, verses 3, 4, and 5. If you want to read along. If, as is the case, anyone is teaching things of a different nature and opposed to the things just mentioned, and does not give his assent to wholesome words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the teaching which is according to a godly piety. He is in a beclouded and stupid state of mind, (laughs) which condition is caused by pride, not doing any concentrated or reflective thinking in even one instance. When you find people who are always finding fault, with people who oppose them. Always finding fault. You, you need to stay back and, and just kind of, you know what? Everybody can't be wrong on this thing. You can't just be the only one who's right. Not doing any concentrated or reflective thinking in even one instance. Sometimes we just need to have a conversation with people be able to have a conversation with people and reflectively think on what they say. Don't you like those kind of con- I love those kind of conversations. When you can sit back and you can reflectively think on what someone else is saying, even if you don't agree with them, but you think about it. Well, let me ponder that for a little bit. All right, I don't quite see that, but you, you, you can have some intelligent conversation. You can have a rational conversation with people. About it. But no, not with people that are the way that Paul's talking about here. Not doing any concentrated or reflective thinking in even one instance, but exercising a morbid curiosity about inquiries and quarrels about words. Exercising a morbid curiosity about inquiries and quarrels about words, from which come envy, strife, speech, injurious to another's good name, malicious suspicions, protracted and wearing discussions of men corrupt in mind who have disinherited themselves of the truth thinking that godly piety is a way of gain. That's from Weist. He then goes on in verse 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment Is great gain. Why does he have to condition godliness? Isn't godliness great gain? If we were to walk in such a way that we would become godly, isn't that great gain? But he says it this way Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Why does he preface it? That's my question. I look at it and I say, Well, godliness by itself, that ought to be pretty good. If I could say I am coming along inside of the traits of being godly, that's good. But he said godliness with contentment. So the more I ponder it, the more I was... The example I thought of is guys like the Pharisees. They appeared to be godly. But were they content? Mm-mm. No. So what he's saying here is godliness with contentment. Now, Jesus, was Jesus content? Paul, yeah, he was content with everything that he had. He's fine. <laughs> Paul, does he come across as someone who is content? Yeah. I mean, he's always striving for, to reach more people and build more churches and go to different places, but he's content. Just because you have something doesn't mean that he has to have it. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. This, this idea of contentment is something we have to get down We've got to stop feeling like there's something else out there that's being withheld from me that I need to have and that people are stopping me from getting it. But this is what the news media is all about right now, isn't it? Everybody else has got stuff. There's that 1% out there, and they've got stuff, and they're taking it from you. That's wrong. You can't have godliness with contentment if you let that thing get in. Be content. you got a, you got a, um, you know, a Chevy car but you want a whatever a lexus you can still strive for the lexus i guess but be content with the chevy just you know when you get in the car don't be oh this old thing i don't like this thing don't want to be in this thing no just gonna thank god for my for my chevy thank god for my ford thank god for whatever it is that you got it runs it's doing good it's comfortable and then you can just look ahead to what you're going to have Outside. If you're never content with the job that you have, it's highly unlikely you're going to get a better one. You've got to find contentment on the job that you got. And along, along comes another one. So, godliness with contentment is great gain. We've got to make sure we get that. Not just to focus on the godliness part, let's focus on the contentment part. Paul says, In whatever state I am in, therein to be content. To be content. There's just something about being content with where you're at. You know, if we, if we live in this house, well, I want to live in that house. If I live in this neighborhood, well, I want to live in that neighborhood. If I have this job, well, I want to have that job. Now we've got to have contentment. For we brought nothing into this world. And I'll tell you what, that is true. When you were born, there's nothing that came out of there but you. My grandfather used to always tell us, he said, may all your kids be born with shoes on. He said, it's going to be hard on your wife, but a whole lot easier on your pocketbook. <laughs> I don't know why he picked shoes, but that's what he did. He used to always tell us that one. But you know, but, but you didn't. You, no one was born with shoes on. You weren't born with anything on. You came out of there naked. And uh, the same thing he says, you brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. <laughs> so what you brought into this world is what you're going to take out of it. Nothing. Nothing at all. So he's trying to get you in perspective. What you have, if you have stuff right now, you've gained that along the way. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. He didn't say what kind of clothing. He didn't say what kind of food. He just said if if you have stuff to eat, got clothes to wear, be content. We all can be looking at, well, I'd rather have other clothes. I'd rather have better stuff and, and things like that. And uh, Maybe that day will come. But we all have different desires for, for clothes. You know, some people like certain aspects of, of clothing, lines more than others, and some you know, have a, a love for certain types or makes of clothes, and other people just don't care. But whatever, just be content. You can still go after the the nicer things if you want to, and having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Those who desire to be rich, how many of you ever thought about that and desire to be rich? But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. In a snare what kind of things are we supposed to desire as in the pursuit godliness is one if we switch pursuing the things that we should as a christian and pursue the things of riches is what he's talking about you can you can be rich being rich is not bad and you're going to see in this passage being rich is okay but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and to many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. While well, you desire, if you, if you can get so caught up in a desire to be rich, temptations are going to come up, come after this, come after, here it is, it's just out there. And you just, you keep trying to pursue it. You keep trying to go out because you're not content. You lost that contentment. And so you're out there, I got to have more, I, I got to do this, and He says, when you do that, there's all kinds of temptations. There's all kinds of snares that are out there. They're going to pull you into it. There's many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Then he goes on to a very famous area. For the love of money, not money, but for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is not the root of evil. It is a root of all kinds of evil. There's other kinds of, there's other roots to evil beside the love of money, the love of power. That's another root of evil. That's not a good thing to do. And you can get into other kinds of love, but he's saying that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Because if you fall in love with money, you will do anything to get it. Now, money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. So just stay out of the love of money. We've talked about it before. You've heard other people mention it. You can have money, and you may not have money. But it doesn't mean you don't have the love of money. The Presence of money or the absence of money does not mean the presence or the absence of the love of money. Poor people can love money, and rich people cannot love money. Just as much as the other way around. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith, not all, not even most, he just said so. for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That would mean that there are people who have money that are not in love with it and haven't strayed. It is not wrong to have money. Now, later on in this chapter, he's going to give rich people uh, kind of a helping hand, you know, because rich people can, especially right now. I mean, right now, the rich people are despised. Rich people aren't paying their fair share. Rich people have it unfair, all this sort of stuff. You know, even when, um, was the Phil Mickelson got over there in California said, I'm paying 63% income or uh, total income tax between state of, of uh, California and all the other stuff. And uh, he just said, I'm thinking about moving. Now, you can't move away from the federal tax, but he was thinking about moving, I guess, um, California has a 13% tax rate, and maybe some other way on are lower. I, I don't know what it exactly was, but whatever it was, he was thinking he'd be getting a little bit lower. Oh, man, he came on under all kinds of fire for that one, just for thinking about moving out of California and not paying all those taxes, that it was his, his duty to pay 63%. <laughs> well, that's not, that's not right for anyone else to say that. He, he backed off of it. He's not going to move anymore. Yeah. yeah, that's a lot of money. That's that's most sixty three. That's not a that's not a uh, a supposed tax. That's actually the rate of taxes that he paid at the end of the year. Sixty three percent of everything he earned went out in taxes. Whew. I don't know. I think that's paying more than his fair share. As far as I'm concerned, hmm. for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. Now, when you stray from something, you don't just all of a sudden turn from it you can just get into a little bit and then a little bit more away and a little bit more away and a little bit more away. And that's why he's saying this is dangerous. You get into the love of money and you still think you're pursuing God, but there's the love of money. And that love of money is just kind of pulling you a little bit over, pulling you a little bit over more, a little bit over more, and then all of a sudden you're not even pursuing the love of God anymore. You're after the love of money. And it's subtle. From which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We talked about it before, but Brother Hagen, in his book, The Midas Touch, was dealing with people who had pursued money to the point of being covetousness, as he warned them, and getting into uh, the wrong, wrong attitudes of money. Well, let's read over. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. What is godliness alone? It's not complete. Godliness needs to come with contentment. Don't let godliness be out there by itself. He goes in verse 11. But you, O man of God. He's speaking to Timothy. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you also are called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So he's got these these parts of advice. First off, he says, flee. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness. So all these things we've been talking about here in this chapter, flee them. You see them come up, flee. Now, here's the thing that's, that's, if you are going to flee something, why would you flee anything? If a mouse came in the room and people... Were fleeing. If a snake was loosed in a house and people were fleeing. If a house is on fire and people are fleeing to get out, what causes them to flee? Fear. fear. Fear is what causes us to flee. I mean, he's not saying run. He's saying flee. If you are going to flee something, it's because you you for fear do not want to be there. He's saying this. Have a fear about these things. It's basically what he's saying. Flee them. You need to understand that can pull you down. That can undermine your faith. That can take you in a direction you don't want to go. So if you see that stuff, flee them. Get out of there. When um, the woman came after Joseph, what did he do? Flee. He's not afraid of the woman. He's, he's saying that this is this is this is an area I don't need to be in. I need to flee. <laughs> I need to get away from this kind of thing. We need to we need to not do that. But you, a man of God, flee these things. Don't just ignore them. I mean, if you're in a burning building, and well, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm just going to stay right here. Right, it's not going to work. That stuff's going to come out there and get you. You need to flee with the same kind of fervency that you would have if you don't like spiders and a spider showed up. If you don't like mice and a mice showed up. If you don't like rats and a rat showed up. Whatever it is that you can get you to flee, because some things you know will get you to flee more than others. Some people like snakes. Some people despise them. But uh, whatever it is, he's saying whether you like these things or not, flee them. These attitudes, these. Get out of there. So first off, flee. And then he says, pursue. So it's not just good enough to flee, but you need to pursue. And generally, if you pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness, you are fleeing these other things. Fortunately, it's the same direction that you go. To go after these other things is to flee this other stuff. So it's all in the same direction. So he says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith. Love. It's not good enough just to flee something. You got to go somewhere. You know, it's not good enough just to run away from a fire. You got to pursue the exit. You got to pursue an exit that you can get to. Fight the good fight of faith. So flee, pursue, and then fight. You need to fight the good fight of faith. There's a fight that goes on. There's a good fight of faith. If there's a fight, there's an enemy. The enemy is the one trying to get you to pursue the wrong things. But God says, flee those, understand the enemies out there, and fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were also called. Called. Well, eternal life, the, the zoe life, the life of God that we've been called to live, he says, lay hold of it. It does us no good to pursue something if you don't lay hold of a thing. He says, lay hold of it. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. There's things, forces that are going to come against you and lay hold of eternal life. There are things that God has promised us. There are things in the life of God that we are to lay hold of. There should be a laying hold of these things to which you're also called. And I confess the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So flee, pursue, fight and lay hold. That's what we got to keep our focus on. Flee these things pursue these other things, fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life to which you're also called. We've been called to it. So these are the exhortations he's been given to, to Timothy to, to watch out. There are people that you need not associate with. We're not just talking about heathens. Unsaved people that are heathen. they're going to act a certain way and they're heathens. That's what they do. But there are certain people that have embraced certain things and this is what he defines in here. He says, those folks, stay away from them. Separate yourself from them. Get yourself to where there is distance between you and them. And let people know that is not what I'm getting up close to. He didn't say separate yourselves from Baptists and Methodists and Episcopals and such things like that. He's talking about a unique outlook people and we take the things that he says and we we lay hold of them these are people that are not going to help us these are people that are going to bring strife and division in the body these are people that we don't need to to we, we don't need to give our um, credibility to them and don't do it you can paul called a lot of people out and said these guys over here they did me a whole lot of harm uh, stay away from them. Don't let them come teaching your church. They're, they're not good. And he, he told them. He called them out by name. <laughs> you can call certain ones out by name that are misbehaving, that are going in a direction to pull others down. You can call them out by name. You can do it. But just don't get into the hate that a lot of these other ones want to get into. You don't have to hate people, but you can call them out. You can distance yourself from them, and you can say, this is what needs to, to happen. Jesus distanced himself from the Pharisees, from the Sadducees, he, he, from the scribes. He distanced them. he said, no, he, he let it be known, that's them, I'm over here, and they're not coming over, even to the point that when one Pharisee came to him and said, how does this happen? He's got an attitude with them. What do you mean, you're a leader of the, of the church and you don't know these things? What's wrong with you, boy? Come on. You're supposed to know this stuff. <laughs> he has an expectation of, of what he's supposed to be, and he's not, not, not measuring up to it. Well, Father, we thank you that you give us these things to do, to pursue, to flee from, that we are called to fight and to lay hold. And the life that we have is a good one. It's filled with good things. Help us, Father, to spot the snares, the temptations that would try and pull us off, to get us into envy and strife, divisions, to get us into places where we're behaving wrongly, or associated with people who behave wrongly. We need to always be able to call out those who are going against the things of God without making it to be, I, I don't like them, I despise them. I No, we just need to call out the things that are being done. Just as Paul did, just as he exhorts Timothy to do. Because our purpose is for the body of Christ to be nurtured and benefited and to grow. And then I have all these negative things from the world come upon it. So we thank you for the help that you give us. You've called us to be leaders in a church to help those that are around us. I thank you, Father, that you give us wisdom to see, to understand the things that happen, things that are going on. They don't happen without us knowing. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I didn't even have that many blanks it. I missed one though, huh? Oh, I left that one off. Oh, God, I love that one too. (laughs) The words we use are not as powerful as the principles we believe. We can get so hung up on words, we forget it's the principles that do it. Now, you'll see this real evidently too in people that are so focused when people say the wrong words. You know, oh, I'm scared to death. Uh, That's not not the best choice of words. I understand that. You know, there's one guy who used to, when he was down at Raymond, I was in my first year. He was, I think he was first year too. He used to have fun with uh, some of the Raymond students who were coming in. He would go into a bathroom. He he said to his buddy, He says, I'm such a kook. And one of the first year students over there was rebuking him, Don't say that. You're going to become that. See, we, we get hung up on words. We miss the principles. It's not what you say comes about, it's what you believe. And say with your mouth. That's the principle. But we can get caught off in words. The words we use are not as powerful as the principles we believe. I still hate those. What's that? I still hate those. What's that? Some some of those sayings. Oh yeah, I I'm not saying that, uh, that. There's a reason we don't like those things, and there's a reason. But you can get so caught up on the words, you miss the principles. And you get a lot of people that are out there and they think, if I just say it, it will happen. No, you have to believe it. And then as you say it, yes, it will happen. But we, we, we mess up on this. We get too much power on the words and not enough power on the believing, the principles. And that's what we need to be part of.